Today's reading is from Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. Now, that same day, two of them were going to the village of Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they walked, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, What are you discussing today as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem that do not know the things that have happened in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth? They replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him did not see, that they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven of them, of those with them, assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on their way and how Jesus had recognised them when they broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The period of time between Easter and Pentecost is 40 days. And over these 40 days as a church we are... um, on Sundays at 10, looking at some of those resurrection appearances. So we've just heard our second one of those, and um, David is going to come and preach on that. But those amazing resurrection appearances changed the lives of the people that met Jesus. And as we travel as a church through these 40 days, we're going to be thinking about how our lives also are changed by living with the risen Christ. So some of our home groups are following the series, and some of you have got the little book called 40 Days with Jesus, where there's a little section every day. And um, so it's an exciting period of time. It's great that we don't just think Easter's finished, but we stay with Easter and we stay with the resurrection. 
until that wonderful day of Pentecost when the Spirit came. So that's where we're going as a church. Heavenly Father, we want to sing with you that wondrous story of the Christ who died for each one of us. Help us see this morning where we're going and where you would have us go. That we may walk in your footsteps from this day forth. So be with us now, we ask in your name. Amen. Uh, well, I, I hope you uh, enjoyed that reading. I particularly enjoy uh, verse 25. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are. See, I like it when the Bible calls people foolish. It makes me feel so much more at home. Uh, because I, like them, am a fool. But of course, foolish, the word that Jesus was using, was sort of dull. You're dull of heart. You haven't uh, understood things properly. And I was uh, wondering a week or so ago how to sort of introduce this theme of being uh, foolish and slow in understanding. And I had the most perfect illustration because I went to my, uh, my secretary's, my PA's wedding last week, which was a very simple affair. Uh, and believe you me, she's worked for me for about a year now and uh, the last two months I have sift, sieved every single detail of her wedding. I've seen pictures of the headdress, uh, the dress itself, uh, what rings she was going to wear, what the menu was going to be, etc., etc. I knew this wedding inside out. It was going to be at the local village church. Uh, we were all going to park in the field with the cowpats. We would walk out when they were there. Uh, and we walked into the church. Uh, and from the church, we would walk back to her house. There was a marquee. We would have champagne, a few canapes. And then after an hour, they'd have some speeches and we could all go. Very, very straightforward. Except when we got there uh, and they, we found 230 people had been invited to the marquee. Now, that was, that was more than I was expecting. Hadn't got that detail. Uh, so there were about 120 men there. Three wore suits. Uh, the remainder all wore tails. I wore a suit. <laughs> I then thought, well, actually, at the time, they were incredibly gracious. They were incredibly nice. I felt completely at home. Uh, I didn't know, I knew one person there. Marion knew absolutely no one. Um, and it, as we were walking away, I said, that, that was quite strange, wasn't it? And Marion said, well, what were the clues? Uh, the clues were uh, that he, her father was an accountant. No great deal about that. Until he saw the light... Uh, or he'd done something terribly wrong because he then became a banker. So, again, no great clue there. And she said, and her family? Yeah, well, her family, uh, her father was equerry to the Queen, uh, and they've just had a party at Clarence House. She said, well, that's a good clue. <laughs> Anything else? I said, well, of course, he's, uh, he's related to the Burley House. What Burley House? Oh, the horse trials. Yeah, the Burley... Yes, yeah, so he's a baronet. Good, good. Okay, so things are getting a little bit more, more, more um, open with us. Uh, and she said, what did they cut the cake with? Oh, that'll be the regimental sword. Yes, indeed. 
I had all the facts in front of me. Only for a year, though, you know, so give me some space. We had stumbled upon one of the best and highest society weddings of the year. And I knew nothing about it. (laughs) How to feel a fool in one easy lesson. I changed direction very rapidly in that two-hour window. I thought I was going down one path. I ended up going down a completely different one. And here we have two individuals on the Emmaus Road going down a path. They had all the facts in front of them, but they'd failed to see the significance. Even Jesus came, walked, and talked with them, and they didn't recognise him. I I don't know whether God had closed their eyes, whether he was wearing a hoodie, Uh, perhaps uh, he was hidden in some way, But actually, there are two parts to this story, and we we concentrate very often on those two individuals, quite rightly. But actually, God was there. And it's the interaction of the two which is so important. God was teaching them something because they were lost. They were lost. They were walking away from the other disciples. They were walking away from the place where all the activity had happened. They were walking away from all the conversations about Jesus. They were walking back to their former existence. That was a great time. We had fun. But actually, let's go back to where we were. And Jesus wanted to meet them. He wanted to hold them. And he wanted to turn them around and set them back. Back to him. You see, very often we are lost. We have all of the information in front of us. We have each other. We have this church. But we don't see the significance. God came to find these two individuals. And God has come to find us. The question is, do we notice? Do we allow him to find us? These two were not stupid, in, uh, not stupid people. They knew that Jesus was a prophet. It says that. They knew that he was powerful in word and deed. It would appear that they'd probably seen, they'd probably heard Jesus speak. They'd probably even seen the crucifixion. They were certainly aware that news of Jesus had spread right the way across the country. They knew that Jesus was for them the example. He was going to bring them salvation. But that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? That bring. What they hadn't thought of was that Jesus was the salvation. He wasn't just bringing it, he was their salvation. And that needed uh, them to change their thinking. I find it interesting that they'd even rejected uh, all of the, uh, the um, evidence of the women and the men uh, who had been to the tomb, and they'd found it empty. They didn't think that that might be significant. To them, that was just another nail in their coffin and their misunderstanding. 
The evidence was there, but they were lost. And I wonder if we expect something of God and we miss his answer. You see, if we were driving in the road, or or, or very often it happens to me, whatever country I'm in, uh, people seem to, in their cars, they pull up to the pavement and they ask me directions. Uh, And what's the first thing you do if someone is lost? You don't have to answer that, it's fine. (laughs) The first thing you do if someone is lost, you say, well, where are you trying to go? You need to know where they're going before you can help someone. So what does Jesus say here? There are these people and they are downcast. They're looking at the ground and say, we thought he was a powerful man. We thought he was a prophet. And Jesus says, what what things? I need to hear where you're going. And where they were going was straight back to where they'd come from. Back to the beginning. Back to their old life. Cleopas and his friend, uh, which might even have been his wife actually, they wanted to be saved. But they wanted to be saved from the Romans. That to them was the great oppression. They, uh, the Romans were preventing them following their religion as they wanted to. So the Romans were a problem. And they wanted freedom. But what Jesus was trying to get them to see was that this wasn't freedom from the Romans, it's freedom from the slavery to sin. So Jesus has already addressed the fact that they're lost. And now he knows where they want to go because what they're pleading for is freedom. We thought this was going to happen. We thought we were going to be saved. We thought this was a new beginning. We thought we could be free from the bondage that these people are putting upon us. And Jesus is saying, right, now I know where you want to go. So let me tell you how to get there. And Jesus suddenly begins to expound all of these scriptures uh, to them. Now, we think that Jesus only occurs in the New Testament. And of course, all the verses that he would have been using were from the Old Testament, as we would know it now. It was all one scripture. And he explains possibly from from Genesis, probably from the Psalms, probably from Isaiah, Jeremiah, Malachi, all of these verses about, about himself. And they're beginning to inquire. They're beginning to question. And so it is that we need to seek God as well. We need to ask questions. They'd moved from being lost to being inquirers and now to fully seeking God. We know that because when they came to the house uh, where they were going to go in, Jesus makes to keep going. And there's no reason to suspect that he wouldn't have kept going. But of course they say, no, no, come in. We want to hear more of this. They are really, now they're really engaged with Jesus. They want to know more. There is something here that we've missed and I'm beginning to see the truth. Come in and help us open our eyes to see more clearly. 
So, of course, they go in and Jesus takes the initiative, doesn't he? How often have you been into someone's house and you've gone straight into the kitchen and started cooking? You've laid the table for them. You said, thanks for inviting me, this is really good. Yeah, I know, Guy, you probably would. (laughs) But you're a cook, I wouldn't be able to do that. But Jesus, he goes in and he does the most important thing of the meal. He takes the bread, blesses it and breaks it. And says, right, this is what we're going to share. And what did they see? Did they see the marks of the nails through his palms or his, his wrists? Did they see his face at last? Did they see in the voice, in what he was doing, just the recognition? And then they look at each other, they turn back to Jesus and he's gone. It's the most extraordinary story. But they had recognised the truth. They had been lost. They'd asked the questions. They'd sought the answer. And the answer was in front of them. The answer was Jesus. So, of course, they get up and they run back uh, to Jerusalem and they, they tell all the others what has just happened. And, and isn't that interesting that just as they finish telling the others what's happened, so Jesus is amongst them. I find that really interesting because Jesus didn't come in while they were explaining. It's as if he's sort of standing outside thinking, I wonder if they've learned. I wonder if they can tell the whole story. I wonder if they've really taken it on board. And when they have, he comes into the room and says, you got it. You're there. You really believe in me. And their life has taken a complete turn. And for us, of course, there are, there are so many parallels in that story, aren't there? How often is it that we are lost? That we struggle to know the answer? That the world is pressing in on us? And what do we do? Do we take the obvious, comfortable route of going with the world, what we understand and what we know and what people expect of us? Or do we try and seek the word of God? All the time we are learning, we are all on our own journey. And the extraordinary thing is that Jesus has, in effect, he's marked the path for us. He's given us the directions, if only we choose to follow them. You see, Jesus is not hiding at this point, is he? Have we ever thought that it was at the Passover that Jesus was crucified, died, was buried, and then rose again? At the Passover, the whole of the Jewish nation draw together. It's a bit like, um, well, let's call it the Olympics or something like that. The Olympics, London 2012, People from all over the world come and they see. They see how good it is. Then they go back to their own countries and they spread the word. This is Passover. People, the Jews from all over the country, all over the nation, were coming back to Jerusalem. They could see. They heard. They saw. They experienced. Then they went back to their own place. What timing. Fantastic. You want to spread your word, do it at the most important date in the calendar. And that's what Jesus has done. Uh, Is he hiding? No, he's not hiding. He wants us all to see. 
He wants us all to know. And so it is that their dejected uh, feeling of rejection, their attitude of loss was now joy and hope. There was purpose. There was direction. And then their lives were changed, visibly changed, because they were joyful and they knew the truth. They were immediately expounding that truth. Now, of course, for people around us, they can't see the risen Lord Jesus. But they can see you and they can see me. Are we displaying the risen Lord Jesus Christ in our day-to-day lives? Because that's what we're being asked to do. Are you lost? Because Jesus has found you. What are you asking of him? Where do you want to go? Do you want to journey with Jesus? Do you want to go home? Home with Jesus. And do we want to stand out in the crowd? Going back to Susie's wedding, uh, there were three of us in suits. There were actually three other people who weren't wearing tails. Uh, and they were the clergymen, of course. I, I should have realised again, one was the bishop who took the service. <laughs> <coughs> Never mind. I'm not very bright. <laughs> one was the bishop. One was the uh, female clergyman who lived in the village uh, who spoke about uh, Easter in her service, in her sermon. Uh, and another was um, another clergyman in the area. And they were uh, just wearing their normal clerical uh, clothes. And they stood out. And they stood out and you looked at their face and they were beaming. It was a celebration, of course it was. It was a wedding. But they just experienced and spoken about Easter and the new hope that they have in Jesus Christ and the new hope they have in this couple in front of them in their marriage if Jesus is at the centre of it. Ah, It was just fantastic. And so it was that the presence of God stood out in that place. Are we lost? Are we asking? Are we seeking? Are we found? That's our journey. Where are you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you do indeed transform us as individuals. You transform us as a church. Because when we ask of you, when we seek you, you are already there that we might find you. Risen Christ, you filled your disciples with boldness and fresh hope. Strengthen us to proclaim your risen life And fill us with your peace. To the glory of God the Father. Amen. We meet the risen Christ and our lives are transformed. Cleopas and his companion, their lives were shifted around. But we also want to hear stories of lives today changed. And last week we heard from Darren, 
Today, Kia is um, very bravely coming to share about how God has been changing her life, Kia. My story so far is in two halves. Um, The first half was pre-2010, about seven years pre-2010. And on the surface, I had no, no issues, very happy on the surface. But underneath, I was a bit restless. Um, Guy would often tease me and say, uh, you know, when you get such and such, then you'll be happy. I remember when I was discovered I was pregnant with Isabella, the first words he said to me as we sat on the bath with the test was, um, are you happy now? <laughs> and I was. I was very briefly happy. And then she had colic for three months. But after that, it was then another baby, and then I'll be happy. And then it was a dog, and then it was a house, and then it was a job. And then it was just constantly trying to just fix myself with a plaster, just trying to find that next thing, that kind of thing that would just put the icing on the cake to what I already had, which was amazing. And I had no right to feel unsettled and restless because I had everything that you could want. I hit a bit of a crisis point with this fixing malarkey in November the 13th, uh, 2010, I've been trying to fix myself with all sorts of things, which I won't go into the details with, but I'd I'd hit a very dark place, which led me to isolation. And, um, yeah, it's pretty pretty horrific. Guy and I had often asked ourselves, how different would our lives be if we believed in God 100%? I think at the time we probably believed 80-20. But there was always that doubt, there was always that bit I was holding back that... um, that I thought I could do it all. You know, I was in control. I had, I had the answers. But November the 13th, 2010, God gave me the gift of desperation, which I'm incredibly grateful for. I surrendered and I turned, I made a decision to turn my will and my life over to God. Um, and I surrendered 100% because I couldn't run my life anymore the way that I thought I should Um, So I I surrendered to God, and he rescued me from me. I now know that I was never going to be able to fix myself. And in discovering how broken I am, I've been given a greater understanding of how amazing God is and his limitless grace. Through sometimes painful self-discovery, shining lights into dark places of my life and opening boxes I kind of hidden away, Doing that with God, um, he's, going, he's healing me through that. And I'm discovering my identity in Christ and who I was always supposed to be. Um, and the freedom that comes from knowing that, that faith isn't something I do. It doesn't matter how many home groups I belong to, how much I read the Bible. Even being, believe it or not, church warden doesn't get you there. It's, it's all about receiving. So all I have to do is receive from God And the rest just comes from my love for him, his love for me, and that gratitude that that comes from that relationship. And just to finish with a a verse that, as I was looking at at doing this, God showed me this verse that kind of sums it up, which is Ephesians 2, verse 8, which is, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God.